0: everyone. It sounds as though there were some uh, very lively debate. How many of you are beach people? Okay, I am with you, sand and all. How many of you are pool people? Yep, you just want a nice little drink with an umbrella delivered to you, don't you? Yep, I, I know your type too. So it is with salt on the rim. All right, getting very specific. Um, good morning. Uh, it is good to be with you. It is really good to be with you, and it's good to be back, Um, and uh, I just want to begin by saying to you this morning um, how deeply, deeply grateful I am for this church, how deeply grateful I am uh, for every single one of you. Uh, In a moment, I'm going to give a personal update on what has been going on in my life um, and what I've been walking through, what our family's been walking through, but I just want to say to you... um, You know, for the last eight and a half years, I have had the privilege of leading this church and being on the giving end of the incredible stewardship of this church. Uh, Those of you that give here, uh, we make sure that so much of what is given here is stewarded towards people uh, when life hits a a really hard spot. And uh, we long to come alongside of our brothers and sisters when they are most at need. And it's been such a joy for me to be on the giving end of our stewardship. Um, And I need to say to you, thank you. Because the last two and a half weeks, I have been on the receiving end of that. And the way you all have loved us and cared for us and prayed for us and stewarded your energy and love and resources in our direction, uh, I just wanna say thank you. Those of you that give here, you can be confident that people are loved well with your giving. Um, And so I just personally want to say thank you. And um, as we move into a time of giving, I'm so grateful that we do this when we gather to worship because giving really is a form of worship. Um, And the more I am growing, uh, I'm realizing that the only way you become a generous person is by practicing giving. It's the only way it happens. Uh, You could take a course, um, but it's not going to change your heart. What changes your heart is when you practice giving. And generous people don't have everything. They just make the most of everything they have. And so I just want to say thank you to the generosity that you have pushed in the direction of myself and my family over the last two and a half weeks. We are beyond Beyond grateful. So, I want to invite the host team to come forward. Those of you that are here for the first time, uh, there is no obligation to give today. We're going to talk about obligation. And so, I want to say there is no obligation to give. Um, but those of you that do call this place your home, I hope you give with joy and with gratitude in your heart today. Well, I want to give you a little bit of an update. Many of you know that on June 5th, uh, all of life changed for myself and my family, for my dear sister-in-law, Antoinette, and um, their sweet baby who just turned eight months this week, Ewan. I was supposed to be chaperoning a field trip with my daughter, Gigi. Uh, She asked me to do the fifth grade all-day Springfield trip and I was looking to get gold stars as a mom, and so I said yes. Um, We were gathered at the school getting on the bus at around 5.45 a.m., and my phone rang, and it was my sister-in-law, Antoinette, and there were hundreds of fifth graders around, and so I hit decline and texted her right back and said, Is everything okay? She instantly texted me back and said, Call me right away. So I picked up my phone and called her, and she shared with me that they woke up that morning and my brother was unresponsive. I got Gigi situated, um, jumped off of the bus before it pulled out to Springfield. It was pouring rain in the city that morning, um, kind of like the entire last month, and um, got an Uber and got across Chicago. My brother and sister-in-law live here in the city and uh, walked into their home to find that my brother, who was 44 years old, passed away in his sleep. As I'm sure you can imagine, we were in shock together. Uh, and I am convinced that it is only the grace of God that held us in that moment. And that nightmare moment uh, ricocheted into the past couple of weeks that, uh, to be honest with you, uh, have felt very much like a fog. Uh, And singing the words that we just sang, uh, this struggle is not how my story ends. Has a whole new meaning to me. And what I know to be true is that deep grief requires that you hold two truths simultaneously. You see, somewhere in my head and in my heart and in my soul, I am confident that Jesus is at work. But the other truth is that this struggle is heartbreaking. And thankfully, I know that Jesus is okay with both of those things. There's no need for any overly spiritual platitude because, in a moment like this, those don't work, anyways. Because of the devastation and the ache um, that feel thick in the plot of our story, um, has truly left us with a very real struggle. There is a new normal for our family that we are now trying to figure out. And I know that in a room this size with this many people, I am not the only person that has been here. In fact, some of you might be here right now. You might be in a season of grief, of loss, of life taking a turn that you did not see coming and if you were the solo writer of your life you would not have written it into your storyline and jesus himself said that in this world you will have trouble and the only reason that we can take heart is because he has overcome it and sadly there is no escape hatch for grief you cannot press a button and escape grief Grief is meant to be felt, and the deeper the love, the deeper the grief. And the reason I know this is because I have been here before. Many of you know that um, 14 years ago, my family also suffered an incredible loss as my father passed away very unexpectedly. So as a family, we are familiar with grief. We've been here before. And suffering is a mystery that will always elude our understanding. Asking the question why will never lead us to an answer. But I know the hole in our hearts that has been left because of Andy has the capacity to draw us to deeper wholeness. And I know that only because of Jesus. See, I have come to believe that I would rather go through the struggle with Jesus than go through the struggle without him. And that is the only way that I can say with confidence, this struggle is not how my story is going to end. And I just want to say thank you to you as a church. Thank you for how you have prayed for us. Thank you for sending cards. Thank you for sending food over the last two weeks. So much food has shown up in our home. Um, I didn't even know how it got there most of the time. Um, I've said multiple times, I'm confident of two things in our church. We love really, really well, and we do food really, really well. We have a five-star on Yelp for food. And thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving our family. Um, Jarrett was away on his first three days of his sabbatical and came home to be with us, of course. Um, And you need to know, um, you know, I am so grateful to have a co-pastor in Jarrett. But what I am more grateful for is the rock that he has been for me as a husband. And that should give you all the more confidence in your trust in him as a pastor. Not that he's a great pastor, but that he is an absolutely, he is a great pastor, but that he is an incredible, incredible man and husband. He has loved me and our family so sacrificially and so well. He did my brother's funeral, um, myself, And our two kids spoke at it. Um, You know, our son Elijah, who's 13, we have prayed his entire life the same prayer over him every single night, that God would make him both sensitive and strong, and we are seeing the fulfillment of that prayer. Um, My son has been incredible, as he has sat in the deep sadness. And I am so incredibly grateful to the students' team here at Soul City. They all wrote cards to him and brought him every form of Oreos that has ever been created. We have Oreos for the rest of our lives. Um, And our daughter Gigi is absolutely extraordinary. Um, She has adopted adopted her cousin Ewan. Uh, She said to me, Mom, he is no longer my cousin. He is my brother. Uh, She is a pro with the bottle. She is a pro changing diapers. Um, She takes him on walks, pushes him on the swing. She's absolutely incredible. And the Soul City Kids team has just loved her so well. Um, Brought her cards and macaroons. Um, You can see the difference in my children. (laughs) One loves Oreos and one loves macaroons. Difference in taste. Um, So many of you have asked me the most natural question, and this is a natural question, how are you? And I understand that question. And I wanna answer it as best I know how. I'm heartbroken and I'm hopeful. I'm confused and yet I have experienced the comfort of Jesus like never before. I am sad And in some ways, I am still in shock. I'm overwhelmed, but I'm incredibly open to the Spirit. I've traveled the stages of grief multiple times, if necessary, within one single day. I'm doing my inner work, I am choosing to trust Jesus when things don't make sense. I'm feeling into my fear, I'm giving it space, and then I'm telling it, it does not have control over my life. I'm asking for help, which is very hard for me. I'm naming my needs, again, which is also hard for me. Uh, One night I texted my friends Julia and Kara, and I said, can you just come over and plant some flowers? on my front patio because I just want to see something that's alive. And they did. I'm trying to live within my limits. Um, Giving the sermon today is not a good example of that. Um, But I so desperately wanted to be able to say to you with my own words and to be able to look you in the eyes, thank you so much for loving us. Many of you have also asked the question, what can we do? What can I do? How can I love you? Um, And that's also a great question. Uh, You can pray for us. Please, pray for us. Pray for myself and my sister-in-law, Antoinette, and my nephew, Ewan, and my mom, and my brother, and his family. You know, throughout the last two and a half weeks, there have been moments where we have tangibly felt the power of prayer. People wonder all the time, does prayer actually make a difference? I can tell you prayer makes a difference. I have felt your prayers, and in moments of weakness, they have given me so much strength. So you can pray for us. You know, my love language is words, and so The best way you can love me is offer me words. I have read every card you have sent, every text that has come in, every email, every comment. Um, There are never too many words. Um, So thank you for the words that you have sent. Um, You can say amen and hallelujah throughout my sermons, even if they're not worthy of it. Um, I appreciate words so much. One of the best ways you can support us as well is, you know, as we step into this new normal as a family, um, I long for all of the support that has come my way to be redirected to my sister-in-law, Antoinette, and to her son, Ewan. Um, And so if you buy diapers for your child, if you wouldn't mind buying her some diapers. If you buy formula for your child, if you wouldn't mind buying some formula. We are beyond, beyond grateful for your generosity. And the last thing that I would ask for you to do, and this may sound silly, but I would ask that you would love your people well. You know, the Bible says that the world will know us by our love. The world will not know us by looking at our screens. They will not know the love of Jesus if we are constantly looking down. And I would just say to you, please look up and love your people. Call them, write them, reach out to them. I would give anything to have a conversation with my brother today. And I'm so grateful that I don't have any unspokens or unsaids in our relationship. But I would say to you, love people well. And let the world know the love of Jesus because of that love. So many of you have asked me, uh, Am I still going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? Um, yes (laughs) I'm still planning to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and I'm going to do what I can Um, I'm asking um, my doctors and you know the different people that are on my team to make sure that I am healthy and fit and ready to climb that mountain and I'm trusting that God in his sovereignty knew all along how I would be climbing that mountain So I leave July 6th um, to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, Many of you have also asked, are we still going to be taking a sabbatical? Um, Yes, we are planning on some form of a sabbatical, but in light of our family's needs, um, it most likely will shift many of the plans that we had for our sabbatical. But yes, we do plan uh, to fulfill that. One of the things I do want you to know is that uh, the elders of this church have reached out to me every single day. One of them is sitting right here, Carrie Hamster-Wright. She has texted me a psalm every single day. The leadership of this church has come around me in the most profound ways. The staff of this church are some of the most extraordinary people I've ever been in relationship with. Our executive pastor, Kelly Skiles, leaned in hard and taught our team how to love their leader when their leader was broken. Sarah Emerson, our creative pastor, handled everything when it came to the arrangements for my brother's funeral. And all that went into that, Katie, our assistant, managed meals and all kinds of different um, specific details. I could go person by person on our staff team, person by person in this church, in ways in which they have leaned in and they have loved us in the most extraordinary ways. And when someone loves well, honor is due to them and so if you wouldn't help me if you would help me thank our staff and our leadership here for the ways that they have stepped in all right i'm going to try and give a message okay you with me yeah remember words it helps you. thank you You know, at um, my brother's funeral, Andy's funeral, I told a story uh, that we love to tell in our family uh, about how my brother, who was just 16 months younger than me, and so that meant we were just one year apart uh, in school. And uh, so that meant that Andy had to deal with the title of Jeannie's younger brother. Now, some days that served him well. most other days it did not serve him well. And... uh, When we were in elementary school, I used to go to his classroom at the end of the day and I would walk up to his teacher and I would say, how did Andy do in school today? (laughs) And my sweet brother was just mortified. I mean, he was so upset that I would do this. And when we would walk home, he would begin by starting to share with me a phrase that then took on lots and lots of steam because then my younger brother, Eddie, joined in and he said, Jeannie, you are not The boss of me. You are not the boss of me. But yet I had this sense that since I was the older sister, I should be the boss, right? Uh, I should look out for him. I should tell him what to do. It makes sense, right? Uh, uh, This is a normal thing that older siblings feel towards their younger siblings. And it's a great example, actually, of the spoken and the unspoken shoulds that we tend to live with in our life. We have a lot of shoulds in this world, don't we? And oftentimes, the shoulds that we feel, either spoken or unspoken, oftentimes try to boss us around. And shoulds are everywhere. If you think about it, there's probably many shoulds that you have that you carry around with you. In fact, if you think about it for just a moment, you probably have some shoulds, right? Some things that you've been saying, oh, gosh, I should do that. Oh, gosh, I need to get that down. Oh, I, I, sh- I should make sure I do that, right? I, I don't know what your shoulds are. Uh, maybe it's something like, you know, I, I should floss more, right? Right? Or I should floss. You know, I mean, like, that's a should, right? I should drink less coffee. I should call my out-of-town family and friends more often. I should volunteer at church. Now, that's actually, that's a very good should. You should follow that should. But there are many shoulds. I can even speak from experience. Even grief triggers shoulds for people. I should say something. I shouldn't say something because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I should send something. I should make a meal. I should let them use my vacation home in Hawaii for two weeks. It's a very good should. It's a very, very good should. But listening to shoulds, putting on shoulds, following shoulds, especially in our relationships, most specifically in our relationship with God and with one another, they lead us away from the life that God has for us. You see, should, when we put on should in our life, when we put this on, what happens is should says yes, even when yes isn't best. That's what should always does in our life. Should always says yes. Yes, 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 whatever you need, whatever you want. Should says yes, even when yes isn't best. And a lot of us have learned how to put this on in our lives. We put should on ourselves, other people put should on us, our society does it, social media does it, even gender expectations put should on us, but should never leads to freedom. It always leads to an invisible prison, a life that is locked up in the law. And we've been looking at the different letters from the Apostle Paul over the last couple of weeks. Um, and we're going to look at another one today. We're going to turn to the book of Romans. In fact, if you want to grab it, it's in the seat back in front of you. Uh, we're going to look at a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome where he talks about what happens when we put on should, when we put on obligation in our life. So we're going to turn to Romans Chapter 13, and it's found on page 921. Now, in the last few weeks, we've been looking at different life swaps that Paul teaches. In the first week, we looked at swapping out shame for worth. The second week, Sean did a fantastic job of teaching us how do we swap out worry. For peace. And then last week, Nancy did a fantastic job of teaching us how do we swap out hiding for vulnerability. This week, I want to look at what is the life swap that we can make with the unhealthy shoulds that so many of us put on in our lives. And I think Paul has some really wise teaching for us on this. Romans 13, starting in verse 8, says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So what what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about debt. He's talking about the law. He's talking about fulfilling the law. And he says this. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. Paul is saying that when you are in debt, you essentially owe someone, right? Right? Those of us that have ever had debt, credit card debt, school loan debt, car debt, we know what that feels like, right? You owe someone. And what debt brings is debt brings obligation. There is a should on you when you have debt. And so you put on should anytime there's any kind of debt in your relational world. There's a should on you. And Paul is saying the only obligation that any of us should ever have is the obligation to love. All other obligations fall under the category of the law. So the only should we should ever feel is to love. Now, to be honest, how many of you have felt other shoulds other than love in your life? I have. I legitimately should probably floss my teeth more, right? We we have shoulds in our life. And so many expectations and even assumptions that get piled up on us, sometimes we feel like the only way out is through the root of obligation. We just got to grin and bear it. And Paul says, any other debt than the debt of loving one another falls under the category of should. He goes on and he says, the commandments that you know well, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shouldn't covet, whatever other commandment there may be. So Paul is saying, take all of them and roll them into this one. They're all summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because love does no harm to a neighbor. Well, in this moment, Paul is kind of pulling them back. He's calling them back to the law and to the commandments that the Romans would have known well. He's saying, there are some shoulds that you all know about because you have been taught these throughout your life. You know the commandments, the commandments. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't covet. And these are good and important shoulds. But all of those, Paul is saying, I can sum them all up in only one thing that you need to remember love your neighbor as yourself it's the only should that will never bring harm to you or to others paul is trying to get their attention by saying when you try to love other people by following a law or you try to love other people and let it fit underneath a commandment, what you're doing is you are loving, trying to love from a place of should. And what Paul is saying is that is not authentic love. Sacrificial love, the kind Paul is talking about, is the opposite of should. Should. And he goes on and he wraps it all up by saying, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Remember, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, that every time you see the word therefore in scripture, it's a great moment for you to ask, what is it there for? And Paul is trying to get our attention. He's trying to get the Romans' attention here to say, the law has already been fulfilled. You're walking around just trying to live under the law, follow the rules, do things because you should do those things, do things because you're obligated to do those things. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus has fulfilled the law. Amen. And it is love. And real love is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is how we will know that we have fulfilled the life that Jesus has for us. When we love. When we love. If you love others, truly love them with authenticity, with sincerity, with honesty, with vulnerability, Paul says you'll never do them wrong. And he is saying that all shoulds that are not rooted in love, are rooted in the law. They're rooted in obligation, and they never lead to life. So when you put on should, when you put this on in your life, what you are ultimately putting on is obligation. Every time you put on should, you are putting on obligation. And obligation always ignites a cycle of unhealthy behavior. A mentor of mine and the author of the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, uh, Jim Dethmer, actually taught me uh, a cycle that we all travel when we put on obligation. You see, whenever you do something under unhealthy obligation, when you put on should, it always leads to some form of resentment. Always. That feeling that you have of, oh gosh, I didn't really want to do this. okay, all right, I'll do it anyways. That feeling of resentment, that sentiment is of the law. That's what Paul is speaking about. That's not authentic love. And resentment is this complex and multi-layered emotion. It's also known as bitterness, bitterness. And just like a lack of forgiveness, resentment is literally like taking rat poison and hoping the other person will die. That's what resentment does in our life. And bitterness always affects the person with the resentment more than the person you resent. And a bitter life makes it hard to ever have a sweet life. And when we have obligation and that leads us to resentment, resentment enters into a person's life and it will ultimately lead them to a feeling of entitlement. The reason resentment leads to entitlement is resentment believes there is a debt that needs to be paid. You owe me. That's why Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding. Obligation never says, oh, no worries, this one's on me. When we do things out of obligation, we always want to be repaid. We always want to be repaid, and that's why it leads to resentment and then to entitlement. Entitlement wants the score to be settled, and usually it is looking for a nice tip in return. And when a bill is left that has not been paid, or maybe even can't be paid, it always leads to escape. Someone decides to escape from the relationship. And I've seen this happen over and over and over again. This is always the cycle that obligation Leads us to. I was talking with a friend a few weeks ago and she was sharing with me about her parents that had been married for uh, multiple decades. And her mom, when uh, the kids were born, she decided to give up her career and to stay home and she was joyful about it. Her dad actually traveled for work and so the mom uh, in her family, you know, was the one that was mostly home and, and keeping the house running. And over the years, The marriage had become more of a contractual agreement versus a loving covenant, and over the years, her mom quietly grew resentful. What was once a choice, a loving choice, had become more of an obligation. Eventually, the kids moved out of the house, and her mom instantly felt entitled to the life that she had given up all those years, and it led her to escape the relationship, and choose a relationship with someone else. You can see the cycle, can't you? You can see how obligation leads to resentment, how it leads to entitlement, and then it leads to escape. Another friend of mine, I was, I was talking with her, and uh, she was telling me uh, about how she had been so faithful and consistent at work. She was like the first one in, last one out went above and beyond. She had become the person in the organization that everyone went to. She was kind of like the personal help desk of this company, and everyone went to her. And her supervisors didn't really notice, and there was a reorg of the company, and she was hoping that you know all that she had done for the organization would be noticed, but instead she was passed over. In a position that she really wants, she was not given. A position that she felt she deserved. A position that she felt she was owed. And within a couple of weeks, she turned in her resignation. You see the cycle, don't you? When we do things out of obligation, it leads to resentment, which leads to entitlement, which ultimately leads to escape and a life of should can be a frustrating and dead end life and thankfully thankfully there is a life swap for should and it's right here in the passage in Romans do you remember what Paul says he says there is a fulfillment for the law it's love it's love love is the other way wow. you see the thing is is love never operates Authentic love has never operated out of should. Love doesn't even know should. Love operates out of can. Love operates out of choice. Love is the overwhelming reality of a God that enables us to actually choose what we otherwise would not choose for ourselves. So instead of should, love can Love can. Instead of should and obligation, we can actually put on love that can, that has a choice. And this is unbelievable when when you pause and, and you think about it for a moment. It's because of the radical grace of Jesus. You see, Jesus did not come and offer his life for us out of some obligation to God. Jesus was not here on a should. He didn't come on a should. He never resented the Father or the Spirit. He never said, listen, if I'm gonna do all of this, I'm gonna be entitled to the very best throne in heaven. He, he never said, like, unless I get what I want, I'm gonna kind of like peace out on this whole Trinity thing, right? There was no unhealthy should involved. It was a choice. Jesus gives us another way, the way of radical grace. And grace is the opposite of obligation. It is the opposite of should. Jesus willingly laid down his life, and God has never done anything for you, has never done anything for me out of obligation. Friends, there was no obligation on the cross. Jesus didn't heal people because he had to. He didn't feed people because it was the right thing to do. Jesus never loved because of should. He made a choice, and then he left us with a choice. He didn't even tell us that we were obligated to love him or to follow him. And the radical grace of Jesus says, you can choose to. That's how empowering our God is. You see, obligation, it feels heavy and forced, doesn't it? It feels like we don't have a choice, but grace leaves us with a choice. We get to decide. We get to actually move from radical grace to personal responsibility, We get to take personal responsibility in our relationship with God and in our relationship with one another. And taking personal responsibility reminds us that even though we are not in control of life's circumstances, we always have a choice as to how we will respond to those circumstances. And some of you, you are here this morning, and this is the only thing that you need to hear in this whole message. You have been living under should because you have forgotten that you have a choice. You always have a choice. And believe me, I can't even begin to tell you. I can't even begin to tell you how utterly complicated this feels inside of me, even having these words pour out of my mouth right now. Every Every part of me wants to reverse the clock. Every part of me wants to go back to June 4th. Every part of me wants to change the circumstances. But I know that is beyond my power. And what is within my power is how I take personal responsibility and make a choice. See, there are lots of choices that have felt enticing over the last two and a half weeks. The choice to get in bed and to not get out. The choice to numb my emotions. The choice to eat all of the food that has been put in my house over the last two weeks. The choice to tell Jarrett that I just have to go shopping and buy whatever it is that will feel better. Um, I could even try to avoid and take more than my share of responsibility and power through and just take care of everything so that I don't have to sit in the deep grief. And those are things that I'm very good at. But a dear friend of mine who flew in to be with me at my brother's funeral sat with me the next day as I just wept with her. And she reminded me of this very truth. She said, Jeannie, Jesus always gives us choice. Even though you feel out of control, you have a choice in how you will move forward. And that is perhaps one of the most loving and empowering gifts God has given to us. God could have just made all of us robots, and we would have had to just Choose as he told us to choose. He gives us choice because he loves us. And choice allows us to take personal responsibility in our lives. And in order for us to love well, as we take personal responsibility, we get to practice creating healthy boundaries in our relationship. And instead of obligation and resentment that leads to entitlement, we get to create healthy boundaries in our relationships. And I think so many of us, we get stuck and should and we get stuck in obligation because we have forgotten a very important truth. No is a complete sentence. No is a complete sentence. In fact, some of you need to practice that complete sentence. So on the count of three, I'm going to let you just say no, okay? One, two, three. No. See, didn't that feel good? (laughs) Now, I would not recommend walking into your boss's office tomorrow and just saying, my pastor told me to come here and say no to you. Um, But every time you say yes under obligation, it's not a healthy yes. It's not a healthy yes. Yes. A lack of boundaries always invites a lack of respect. Either a lack of self-respect or a lack of respect from others. But the gift of healthy boundaries actually lead us to being able to offer the very thing that Jesus offers to us. You see, when we receive radical grace and we choose personal responsibility that leads to healthy boundaries, what we get to offer is sacrificial love. The very thing that Paul said is the fulfillment of the law. Sacrificial love is the opposite of should. It's the opposite of obligation. It is the fulfillment of everything Jesus offers. And then we get the joy of offering it back to one another. And somebody better say amen to that. That is our good news. This is the way of Jesus, friends. A life of obligation is empty. It is empty. It is a dead end. And some of you have been on this path and you're here today because it's time to get off. It's time to get off this highway. This is a dead end road for you. This is the road of radical grace. The road that Jesus paved on the cross. It's a a road that says love can, and it's something we can choose. And this is for everyone. Should runs out, but radical grace, it never runs out. Here's amazing news. It's new every morning. Every morning you awake, there is new grace. There is new mercy. There is new faithfulness. There is new love. It never runs out. This is a dead end. And those of us that are living under obligation, I just want to say to you today, Jesus wants you to be free of that. Free of that. And I wonder if there are any places in your life where you have been living from a place of should. Because should is not the path of love, the path of sacrificial love says, What does love say I can do? What does love say I can do? You know, you know, you can do the exact same thing in your life from should that you can do from can. Last night, I was laying in bed, crying my eyes out. That's the honest truth. With a pile of laundry on my bed that I did not feel strong enough to fold. Jarrett just came up talked with me prayed over me and folded the laundry he could have come up and had a posture of should oh gosh she can't even fold the freaking laundry she's fallen apart I gotta huh? now I gotta do the laundry obligation could have resented me she can't pull it together entitlement one day she's gonna owe me escape. You see it. You folded the laundry because this is what love can do. Friends, you can do the very same thing in your life from two different motivations. You can do it from should or you can do it from can. And this is what Jesus invites us to do. He invites us to ask the question, what does love say I can do? What does love say I can do? And this is how the world will know us, is if we ask that question, what does love say I can do? And we show up to one another, not out of should or obligation, but out of authentic, sacrificial love, the same love that Jesus modeled for us. So I want to invite us into a time of prayer Maybe just close your eyes for a moment and think on if there's any place or space in your life where you have been living from obligation, you've been living from should. Maybe it's even in your relationship with God. There's some kind of old story that you have held on to that says, I I should go to church, I should read my Bible, I should pray. And you've been showing up for your relationship with God under obligation. And he just wants to say to you today, son, daughter, I love you. I love you. Maybe it's in a relationship with a family member or a friend or a spouse, a child. And you've been showing up in that relationship with obligation and with so many shoulds. And you already see the resentment that started to come into your heart. Maybe even today, just say, God, would you forgive me? I wanna move from should to can I wanna love like you love. I wanna offer radical grace. Maybe it's at work, and you've been showing up with so much obligation, so much should there. You've lost joy in your work, you've lost A sense of even purpose when you're there. Maybe even ask God right now, God, would you help me move from should to ask what does love say I can do? Jesus, these are the kinds of people that we want to be. We want to be people that don't show up in this world under obligation or because of a should, but we show up because of your radical grace, because of your sacrificial love, and we offer the very thing that you have offered to us. Jesus, I pray that this would be true. Give us your strength. Give us your mercy. We pray this in your name. Amen.